another episode of your Grownish podcast. I'm Brooklyn Beatty. And I'm Josh Williams. And today we have a lot to talk about. But first, I wanted to mention that segment that we've mentioned a couple times before, and it's what makes us happy because there's something, Josh, that is making me very happy this oh, yeah? week. What, what, yes. what, what might that be? The first female vice president of the United States. Hey, that was an exciting moment to see. Let's that be honest. Is... Long time coming, huh? Oh my gosh, yeah. And we're just, just to know that we're seeing history in the making. And let me just say this first. I don't care what your politics are. Anyone listening, you and I, it does not matter. When it comes down to it, this is still history. And it's incredible to be able to live and see the first woman make it all the way up to vice president. We're going for president next. 14 years in the making from the last time uh, another woman took a, a huge step as a first. Nancy Pelosi becoming the Speaker of the House. First female to ever do that in 2007. I didn't so, even realize until you mentioned that to me that that was a historical moment. It, it, I don't know why. I think I was young enough that it wasn't registering back then right, that I was seeing of course, history. Of course. Because we're in like, what, uh, seventh grade at the point? Like maybe even six? Somewhere yeah, around there? Somewhere around there. Not thinking anything of historical exactly. values. But what is it? I got to ask you before we even dive deep into this. As a woman yourself, mm-hmm. what what does this moment mean to you in, in the reflection so after seeing that moment, you went to sleep that night, you looked in the mirror as a woman. How did you feel? Well, I'll tell you this. It's coming from me, when you grow up as a girl, you're always told, oh, girls can do anything boys can do. Girls are just as smart as guys. They can do any job they want. But then as sad as it is to admit, the older I got, I realized that's not necessarily the case, at least the way our country has been. It seems like there are some jobs that women just aren't hired for or aren't considered as much. And I have seen throughout my lifetime that become less and less and less of an issue. And it's like you're looking at, you know, all these high up vice president, president, you know, all of those positions. And they're all men all the time. And so I think it's kind of the same feeling that black people were feeling when Obama became president. Where it's like, oh, wow, we really can do this. We can get to this point. You know, it's not just, this sounds terrible, but it's not just old white men all the time. Because that's kind of how it was feeling. And that's how it felt for vice president, too. And so to know that, like, oh, wow, a woman made it this high up is just incredible. And it really shows women really can do anything. And they told me that growing up. But sometimes you look at different positions and you're like, can they? It sounds bad, but it's true. I don't think it sounds as bad. I mean, I think you're you're basically shining the light on a a dark wall that uh, not a lot of folks want to look at here. Right. Yeah. I mean, people talk about wage gap, things like that. And personally, I haven't seen it affect me, but that's not to say it doesn't exist. Right. And so anytime I see anyone making it to a spot that wasn't necessarily like people didn't think that they were going to they were going to make that that far is just gives me hope for the future. It's a beautiful thing. So our our congratulations to uh Miss uh, Vice President Harris. Yes. Uh, what a mo- monumentous moment that we witnessed this week. I mean, and hopefully it's just the first to come, right? Oh, yeah. I enjoyed seeing her family. And uh, not to go even deeper into this, but I really do. I enjoy seeing her family dynamic, knowing that her grandmother and and knowing how our grandmothers impacted our lives. You, yourself, and mm-hmm. mine with me. Uh, seeing the, the ripple effect from there. Just is a beautiful thing. Just gives me hope for all the little girls out there watching the TV on the inauguration. Yes. They're like, look at that lady. She made vice president of the United States. And I saw a collage of every photo of vice presidents leading up to this. And they did this 
to make it a little more, to stand out a little bit more. But all the photos were in black and white, except Kamala's was in color. And it was just like all these men year after year after year. And then there was one color picture of Kamala Harris. And it was like 2021. I don't know. It gives me so much hope. And like I said, I know there's a lot of people who aren't happy about it simply because that's not their politics. And that's fine. But when you really look at it and you take politics aside, it just shows how much our country is growing and adapting and overcoming all of those stereotypes that we've had for hundreds of years. So, And not to be that guy, but for everyone out there, whether you like it or not, she will be forever now, or at least for the next four years, Vice President Harris. So get used to that title because it's not going anywhere, folks. All right. So because we were talking about this and I was thinking about historical moments and just the fact that we are 26 and we're seeing history in the making here, I kind of started to think a little bit about all the other things that you and I have lived through in our short 26 years on this earth. I mean, there has been a lot of change. There has been a lot of historical moments. I think about kids 50 years from now in their history classes and what they're going to be learning about the early 2000s. And it really kind of hit me in the face, like how much we have seen. And like I mentioned earlier, not only have we seen the first female vice president now, we've also seen the first black man, like president of the United States, which was also incredible. Politics aside, that never happened before either. It was incredible. Right. And so, I don't know, it was just kind of blowing my mind because I started thinking about every other thing. I mean, technology, we lived, I mean, even this past year, as much as I'm tired of talking about it, we lived through a pandemic and all the adults that I've talked to. And when I say adults, I mean like people 40, 50 and up, you know, because I know we're adults, but I don't always consider us adults. Um, they're always like, yeah, I'd never seen anything like this in my lifetime. And here we are in our 20s living through it. it and so it makes you take a step back and think, and especially I think after going through a pandemic, which, you know, folks, we're, we're far from over on this pandemic side of things, but it's still, it makes you take a look, a look back, and especially coming to an end of a decade where you're beginning from, you know, 2020 to 2021, always a good time for reflection, mm-hmm. which is why Brooklyn and I decided to put this list together of things that, you know, we remember going back, and, and some of that starts right at the turn of the century, right? Why 2K? My goodness. That was crazy. So I don't know what you remember about that, but... We were five at the time, five five years old, 1999. And of course, when you're five, you're not really thinking about like anything doom and gloom in the world. I feel like every day is a party. Um, but I do remember my mom being slightly nervous about New Year's Eve that day. And I didn't understand why. But I mean, she'll tell you she filled up the tub in our bathroom full of water in case we needed water. She had prepared a bunch of different meals and put them in the fridge in case for some reason we lost power and needed food. But that woman was ready for things to go haywire. haywire. And the only reason that was was because people were explaining to the general public that they were afraid that all the computers were going to crash because they weren't sure if they could handle. And this is weird now to think about going into 2021 and how far we've come technology-wise. But back then, in 1999, they didn't know if the computers could flip over to 2000 and run properly. So they were prepared no for our country just to crash. And even not even just the country, just the world. They were like, oh, our, our technology can't handle that kind of change. We've always been in the 1900s. This is too much for it. It's all going to go crash, go haywire. We're all going to be in the dark for the next few days. They were ready for everything to just go to shit. 
I had always wondered about what was what it was about that that made everyone freak out. Right. And my mom, not to say it was necessarily a conspiracy theory, but she was like she was prepared. Not that she was sitting there afraid or believing it, but she was like, just in case I'm going to be ready. So I do remember her preparing for that. And then clock struck midnight. It was 2000 and everything was fine. That's definitely something that when I bring up Y2K to people who are older than us, 20, 30 years older than us, they're always like, yeah, I remember that. I was talking to John, my co-host for the morning news, and he said the same thing. He was like, yeah, that was such a crazy year. Like everyone who was grown during that time remembers it so vividly. It makes you think differently about uh, Party Like It's 1999. Yeah, they were partying like it was literally the end. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, my gosh. And Prince literally uh, sang as the ball dropped that year, I believe. Well. One of the performances. I just can't even imagine sitting there waiting for it to strike midnight and thinking, like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I'm glad I was young that I didn't really realize what was going on, I guess. That was the first New Year, New Year's Eve that I could remember as a kid. And it was gathered around the television at my grandparents' house. Of course, and not to say I lived a sheltered life, but, you know, they wanted to make sure what we were aware of. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't need to be aware of it, there's no need to freak us out as So kids. you didn't worry about this Y2K thing? I didn't know about it. Okay. We had, no, I mean, not to say that they weren't aware of but it. But they didn't bring it to your attention. Never. Never. I don't really think my mom brought it to my attention either. I think it was more so after the fact. After the fact, when I got older, she was like, oh, I prepared. Like, I remember her telling me all this stuff later in life. So I think when I was five or whatever, I don't think I did they, knew what was going did on Did they teach you that in school? Because I'm trying to recall back in even grade school, middle school days of when we're learning about, uh, you know, things that have happened over the course of our U.S. history. And I almost frankly want to say I remember some talks of that, but I don't remember much more of ever receiving any kind of like uh, instruction no, I think about it when I when I hear about it. It's usually just from people. Just from I don't think we ever really learned it in school. Not to say that they won't make that a topic of conversation right. down the right. road for kids, but of course. I think maybe we're still too close to it in history to really learn about it again. You know, what would be cool. And for the folks who are listening out there, we want to hear about your Y two K stories because yes. obviously it's not in the books like that. So if there's anything that we can do to maybe get you to tell us your Y two K story, what was your family doing? What were you doing in preparation? It seems like you know Brooklyn's mom at that point was buying all the toilet paper that she could in the world uh, and, and all of the uh, water supplies. Uh, well, obviously they had a tub full of water. water. <laughs> I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing. Love you, Mom. Oh, my goodness. That's precious. So, yeah, no, I completely agree. If you have anything to share with the class and want to let us know how your Y2K experience was, email us at grownishpodcast at gmail.com. Or, of course, you can find us on Facebook, Grownish Podcast. We've actually had a couple people reach out and say hello in the past couple days on Facebook. Well, hello. And I wrote back hello, and then they never wrote back to me, and I was sad because I Uh wanted to start a conversation. But, hey, I'm always here to talk. Please talk with us. We want to talk with you. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, though, we have more categories to get to on our list of historical events that Brooklyn and I have gone through and um, important to recognize over our grownish phase here. So stay tuned. We'll be back. And well, 
Welcome back. We just covered Y2K, and now that kind of brings us to the early 2000s. And as we all know, a lot happened between 2000 and 2010. And Josh, I know one of the big things that you wanted to discuss was 9-11, which we totally can. But I don't know if there was anything that happened maybe before that that we wanted to touch on first. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things, and of course, you've listened to the podcast, you know, I'm kind of a fan of um, not politi- politics in itself, but of the the presidency yeah. in itself, the office. And uh, we actually had our first contested presidency ever. And, you know, first grade was, you know, 2000, 2001 era. Mm-hmm. And that's when I remember learning about Al Gore running against George W. Bush. And um, basically, we got a finite, uh, well, a infinite example of how the Constitution and the Bill of Rights work um, in America's constitutional government. The Supreme Court ended up deciding the election in favor of George W. Bush over Al Gore, and which sent him to the presidency. So I think even after the election, much like what we just witnessed here in America, it took like 20, 30 days after the election to even you know, give a nod that, hey, we have a president. And that was the first time that's ever happened. Since, and I, I could be, uh, I don't have this in my notes here, but I, I believe it was the first time since like Thomas Jefferson. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So you'd have to go almost 170 odd some years. I'm going to be honest because you're super into presidents and those kind of facts. Yeah. I find it interesting now, but I feel like I have nothing to add to that conversation because I feel like I probably didn't start paying attention to politics until my senior year of college is when I started to really pay attention to who was running, what they stood for, what I liked about them, things like that. So this is all you. But that's actually really interesting, I will say. And you know what's, uh, what's wild? Um, shortly before 9-11 and all that happened, um, I wrote my first ever letter to President George W. Bush. Yeah, as a, a, a young little kid. And uh, he sent me, and it's not that he sent me, the office obviously yeah. sent me stuff back. But it was uh, individual cards. So basically it was a stock card like image of like George W. Bush, Laura Bush, the dogs, uh, Marine One, Air Aww. Force One. Yeah. It, it That's was, cute. It was. And it was something that I will never, ever forget. Do you still uh, have them? I'm sure I do somewhere. I hope that I can you gotta find them. You got to cherish those. Oh, for sure. I did. And um, I was so excited to always bring those to school and show them off. Yeah. <laughs> show kids. and tell days. Oh, my gosh. The but, president um, sent me these. I remember that, though. And, That's cool. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, did, I have. I will always have a bond with George W. Bush in a weird way because of that. That was the first president you were like caring about enough. You wrote about. You're old enough to really realize, hey, we have a president. This is who it is. He inspired me in a way. Yeah. You know? And, uh yeah, say what you want about George W. Bush, but, you know, hey, he was our president during our darkest hour, which, you know, we're about to talk about here. You know, right. of course, uh, literally during September, beautiful day. I don't know what your recollection of uh, September 11th, 2001 is, but I was sitting in a first grade class, Mrs. Rice, at Swanson Elementary School um, when Mr. Ritchie, who was a, a, a teacher there, walked in and told Mrs. Rice the, the towers had been hit. I had no idea what she was talking about. Yeah. But I remember him saying to her, the towers had been hit. And she's, you know, gasped and covered her mouth. And, and that was that. Then coming home, my mom was sitting on the, the couch in the back room watching the television. And that's when she told me what had happened. And uh, I wasn't grasping the situation at all. And uh, we're not actually that far away from Air Force bases here in South Bend, Indiana. I remember going into the backyard, which was... Nothing unusual. It was a beautiful September day that was. The sun was shining, not a cloud in the sky. I remember going in the backyard, and I, I kid you not, this isn't an exaggeration. 
there was a military jet that flew over. I mean, it's not like, I mean, we live by an airport over here, so we know, you know, when planes are flying low and when planes are flying low. And that jet distinctly was flying low. And it just, that was, that was the first moment that you felt it in, like, your stomach or in your heart. Like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. I ran back inside, told my mom what I saw, and, uh, and she told me that there's probably going to be more like this to come, you know? And, uh, of course, that whole week, you know, we, we go into the, we uncover the devastation about what had really just happened and, as a nation, you know, we, uh, wow. I mean, that was, yeah, my experience is semi similar actually. So like you, I was in first grade and I remember going to class and being in my first grade class and my teacher whispering to other teachers in the doorway. And if I remember correctly, they sent us home early, very early because it happened. What? Like eight thirty something in the morning. If yeah. I remember. Yeah. Okay. Um, And so they sent us back home and my mom had to come get me. And then we sat in the living room and I remember my mom watching it on TV. It was on TV. It was just like replay after replay of what was going on. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm only seven. Like, wow, this is scary. This is huge. But I can't even imagine how our parents, how other adults felt. Because as a kid, you can only grasp what's happening so much. You know, something's wrong just by the way that adults are acting But to be an adult and not know what the rest of the day, what the rest of the week will bring, it's just... It's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. I can't imagine being even this age now and this happening, because it would be a whole different way of perceiving it. So, pretty much similar, being in class, finding out what was going on, but not really knowing what was going going on. And I do remember my parents kind of talking to me about it vaguely, but there's only so much you can really tell a seven-year-old anyway about what's happening. But it's definitely been more of an eye-opening experience the older I've gotten. I remember when I was a freshman or a sophomore in college, I was taking a broadcast class, and we were discussing 9-11 in the class. I don't remember why, but one of the kids got up and left. Turns out his dad was actually killed. Oh, my goodness. Um, He was in the Twin Towers. And so it's just, it's the after effects for me. You know, when you get older and you meet people who knew people or they were there or things like that, that you're like, wow, this was just life-changing for everyone. Not only that day was life-changing for everyone, but the weeks and months and years to come after that, uh, that whole event led to a sweeping change of things that had came across America. Uh, George W. Bush at the time, uh, he called for tougher security standards, uh, including with the TSA. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, with the U.S. Patriot Act, and then, you know, I think it was not even 20-some-odd days after the attack on the uh, World Trade Center, we invaded Afghanistan um, to take on uh, um, the Mm Al-Qaeda at that point, which is the first time we've ever heard, you know, us as kids ever heard of any words like that. We didn't know who who the heck Osama bin Laden was, uh, any of that stuff. Uh, We didn't, you know, And, and this is still at the time of Gaddafi doing what he's doing, over there, uh, you know, which is another story, but we, you know, we were just not young. We were, not, we were too young to understand what all these things were going on. But I, I, another moment that I will never forget. And I feel like nine 11 for me is, it's not just one day. It is literally three or four weeks after the fact until this moment that I remember very vividly sitting, you know, my mom worked. So we'd always be at my grandmother's house after um, school until my mom got off work at nine o'clock and uh, we invaded the night that we invaded um, Baghdad 
Um, and of course, CNN, Fox News, they all have it on television and, you know, they got it in front of your face. Up until that point, my grandparents had not, uh, even my mom, had decided not to let us watch any of it, not to see any of the stuff that's going on there. Um, but for whatever reason, that night, my grandmother allowed me to sit on her lap. And as we invaded Baghdad, I sat with her, asked questions. Um, she reassured me. Um, she gave me hope that even in this moment that we're facing right now, that we're going to be okay. Because mm-hmm. as a seven, eight-year-old boy, you're terrified. I mean, watching this happen, you know, thinking about what just happened in our own soil, right? Mm-hmm. That was scary. So I think that's what shook everyone to the core because people never thought it was going to happen in the States, that they would bring something like that to the States. And same kind of situation for me. I remember when I heard that we were going back to, when we were going to war, in my seven-year-old mind, I was like, I thought wars, we were, we were done with having wars. You know what I mean? You, yeah. When you're a kid, you hear of the world wars. You hear of, you know, just the Civil War, things like that. And it's all history. It's things that happened way back in the old days. That's not something that would happen in the 2000s while I'm alive. And then you hear, oh, we're going to war. And I'm like, we can do that? You know what I mean? It was. I remember how hard that was for me to wrap my head around the fact that we were going to send soldiers over there. Yeah. Yeah, but one thing, too, that stood out for me from all of that was, um, and I don't know how you felt about it, but the deep love and appreciation I have for this country, for our country, that, that we are so blessed and lucky to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, that decade there of 2001 to 2012, we'll call it, both of those presidents stopped at nothing to bring those people to justice. No matter how many miles, no matter how many years, months, both of those presidents did not stop. President Bush and President Obama did not stop until Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden were both gone. Mm -hmm. And uh, as an American, you have to feel pretty proud of that. Granted, everything that we went through and all that, say what you want about them, but they took it to task. And it kind of applies to today. It's like, no matter how you feel about where people stand political-wise, I am just... Very, very proud to live where we live. And it just continues to hold true the older I become. But, yeah, looking back, I believe that was handled in the best way it could have been handled. Do you know what wasn't handled the best way it could have been handled? Think about all of all of the scares. And this is something that I, I don't think we've ever talked about. But all the scares that came after that. I'm talking about, go back to Halloween, trick-or-treating. Trick-or-treating changed forever after 9-11 or shortly after 9-11 folks were scared to let their their kids now go into the neighborhood go trick-or-treating collect the candy from their own neighbor Mm -hmm. because they were worried that people were putting razor blades or putting poison inside of these candies and things like that so it's like oh my god everything literally changed and um I remember the flights, the TSA you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, it was only like a couple years after the fact. My family and I, we went on a vacation, and I remember how strict everything was. It was just incredible. You had to put everything in plastic bags inside a plastic bag, and you had to measure your liquids. You can only have more two ounces or less, and it was just so, so strict. And my mom was like really, really stressed about making sure we had exactly the right amount or less of what we needed. And I was like, "Is it? has it always been this way? Because that was the first time I'd ever flown on a plane after 9-11. Yeah. And so I didn't know like what to expect. And she's like, oh, no, this is all new. So she, for her, it was like, oh, we have to change so much about the way oh, boy. we pack for vacation. 
And now it's basically second nature. I don't really think they've really relaxed much. It's pretty much the same rules. But, I mean, I, I flew a couple years ago, and it wasn't, to me, I didn't find it that stressful. But that's just how we've grown up. But the people who probably flew all the time, that was such a drastic change. I tell you what, uh, you know, I didn't fly after 2001 until about 2006 when we were going down to Florida for that Disney vacation. Mm-hmm. I learned very quickly, you cannot wear flip-flops and also no shirt underneath your hoodie because automatically, and I don't think the flip-flops had anything to do with it, but I do regret that wearing those in the, in the plane. My feet were frozen. Um, but you cannot wear, a, you can't go into a plane or through that TSA metal detector shirtless with a hoodie on. What? I don't Why? Know. It preempted me to go through the little bomb thing where they spray air at you because I couldn't take my I couldn't take my hoodie off. I had oh. no shirt underneath. So it was like I guess, you know, they're looking out for decency. I, I don't know what they're looking out for at that point. I mean, I was was in eighth grade, so mm-hmm. it's, but they literally pulled me aside, maybe go through that little <laughs> Yeah, sprays all that air at you. My family got a kick out of that. They didn't let me live that down for like four days. Anyway. The rest of the vacation. Just talk about it. Yeah. Well, it's safe to say that that, I mean, that whole terror attack, it's changed our lives forever. And you know what? Also, one last thing I will mention that kind of just blows my mind concerning this. As it's we are probably one of the last age groups of children that remember it happening. Because if you think about it, we were six, seven at the time that it happened. There really can't be many more kids much younger than us that knew it was happening at the time. So it's just wild to think that almost everyone younger than us, this is just another thing that they are going to learn in a history class. It's all it's our it's our Pearl Harbor. Yeah. You know, we learned about what happened December seventh, nineteen what, forty, forty two, forty four. You're asking the wrong person. I'm know. just saying we we learned about that day, mm-hmm. the day that will live in infamy. Mm-hmm. We got to see that in person for ourselves. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right, well, I was going to say this is pretty heavy, but I definitely want to talk about a few lighter things. So stay with us. Maybe we should mention some of the technological advances that we've seen. I'm game for that. Okay, stay tuned. And welcome back. Okay, a little bit lighter topic, but something I definitely thought we should mention was just everything technology. I mean, think about when we first started being able to get on a computer or talk on a phone. I don't know about you, but my phone had a wire coil that held it to, you know, the receiver and the dial. And when I was on the computer and the phone rang, you had to get off the computer because you can't be on the Internet and talk on the phone at the same time. But the AOL days. Yes, the dial-up sound. You had to sit there and let it all dial up. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was going down. And back then, it was just absolutely normal. But it was in the early 2000s that I think things started to really kick off. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't... I don't know about you. I didn't have a telephone, like a smartphone or a uh, like a cell phone until I was like 16, 17, maybe I got 18. my first flip phone. I got a flip phone first. I was, I believe, 14 years old. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Very I, nice. Eighth grade. So quite a, quite a little bit down the road. But anyway, in 2001, uh, as we wrap up our first year in the 2000s, hey, Steve Jobs, Apple computer, he introduced this thing called an iPod. Yeah, I bet this iPod was crazy. And it changed our lives forever. We, we stopped listening to CD players and 
Remember those uh, things that we used to get at BK? The little thing that had the mini CD. The hit clips? The hit clips. <laughs> those were awesome, but also so lame at the same time because you could only listen to like a minute of the song. But CD players, let's hold on. Before we get into the iPods here, <laughs> can we touch on CD players? Do you remember, like, you couldn't even bump those things because it would skip the CD. So when you were listening to them, you had to hold them very, very, like, flat yeah. in your lap. You had to have that, uh, you had to have the good CD player, which are hard to come by. And I don't think lot, I had a good one because mine would skip my CDs. But you know what? I remember every time I'd go on, like, a trip, even if we were just going across town, your girl would get in the back of her parents' minivan with her CD player. Her headphones that were the big clunky headphones, not the, you know, nice little headphone that we can just slip in now. And I had a like a CD wallet and it was full of all my CDs. So I had to come equipped with all my stuff. So then when we're driving around town, I could pop my CDs in and out of my CD player and listen to my music. CD wallets are a thing, man. They're still a thing. I have one in my car, actually, still yes. with old CDs from my like childhood that oh. I don't get rid of. Don't, so, don't ever get no. rid of it. No, and my car is kind of old. It's a 2005, so it still has a CD player inside. So I absolutely adore that. Um, yeah, I used to love thumbing through my grandfather's uh, CD uh, binder, wallet, whatever His you want collection. to call it. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That was just a nostalgic throwback that you brought on there. I love it. So, but anyway, so the invention of the iPod changed everything. And that first iPod was a thick boy. Do you remember? He was like short and it had like that tiny little screen. They were silver and they had the little, the little um, circle that you had to run your finger around to make it go up and down. Yeah, it it took me a while to even get one of those. And it wasn't until uh, actually my neighbor, uh, Dylan, I don't know wherever you're at, buddy. Uh, he lent it to me for like a month. It was the best month of my life. See, I never got the first gen iPod. Yeah. I joined the iPod community when they had the iPod Nanos. They were the colored ones. Mm-hmm. I had a yellow one. And that was my first actual Apple product. Before that, I had, because, you know, people copy, there's competition. So as soon as that iPod came out, other companies were making cheaper versions of the same thing. Mm-hmm. So my first couple, like uh, MP3 players or whatever, were like cheap walmart versions one actually had tinkerbell on it 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 held like only 12 songs it wasn't very that's cute wasn't very smart but you know (laughs) it did the job you got it done um yeah so i had a couple of those but i got the ipod nano but that wasn't probably until like sixth grade but i just remember apple coming out and everything seemed so futuristic all of a sudden steve jobs man steve jobs you gotta watch the movie i've not seen a movie about. you really have not seen jobs either one of them there's two? Well, there's one with like Ashton, Ashton Kutcher playing Steve Jobs. And then there's another one that's really well done. I, I, I don't know what is, if it's just Jobs or if it's Steve Jobs, um, but they both basically follow the life of Steve Jobs. And you could, I encourage you to watch it. If, you, if that fascinates you about that explosion I think it's awesome. of, of all that innovation, you will really enjoy the story of Steve Jobs and how that innovation came to be. I'll check it out. Yeah. I hope it's on Netflix or something. Um, You might need to get the book. Okay. (laughs) But anyway, I mean, those iPods brought on what? The iPhone? Because I remember, you know what I also remember? Um, I was probably in like ninth grade when I got my first iPod Touch. But at the time, I still had a flip phone. So back then, I also had to carry around my phone and my iPod wherever I went. Like, I always made sure I had both. And then one day... I believe I was a junior or a senior in high school. I finally got my first iPhone and the rest is history because I've never, ever gone back from having an iPhone since then. But That's amazing, man. Lucky, man. You're lucky to have uh, both of those as a freshman in high school. Man, I had to earn my stripes. For the iPod? 
Yeah, iPod and a flip phone. Wow. Oh. Was I shout out to the Vadies parents? They they definitely I feel like they made me I felt like they made me wait forever too, because all my friends had them in like sixth grade and I wasn't until fourteen or fifteen years old where they're like, All right, we'll get you one. Welcome to Northern Living up here, man. Folks make you earn it up here. Wow, all right. Apparently I was spoiled. Thanks, mom and dad. No, it really is, man. I'm telling you. Uh and I, I think even my stepbrothers didn't even have I don't not my stepbrothers, my brothers. A little brothers did not even have a phone until they were like juniors in high school. And that was on my dad's side. Oh, yeah. It's just it's a different way up here, man. But back then, too, there was also phones, pay phones and things that you could find if you ever needed one. Now, yeah. There are no more pay phones. I remember. Yeah. Pay phones were still around for quite a while when Dirty we were kids. Things, but yeah. Yeah. Think about with COVID. Those are things would have been torn out of the wall if they hadn't been already. Do, do your folks still have a landline? No, they got rid of that probably, I want to say maybe five years ago, because it got to the point where they wanted to keep it because, fun fact, that phone number that was my parents' landline was my dad's first phone number ever, and he just kept it his whole life. But the problem was everyone started getting cell phones, including both my parents. And so when people needed to get a hold of my parents, they would call their cell phone. And because of that, the landline almost was always scam calls. Like anytime it rang, it was just someone we didn't want to talk to. So I would say maybe about five years ago. Time goes a lot faster than I realized, so it might have even been longer. But what about your parents? Do they still have landlines? No, they got rid of a landline a long, long time ago, even though I can still remember the first, uh, it was the first phone number I ever learned. I still remember it to this day. Same. And so I don't want to give it out in case it is someone's phone number exactly. now. So, but I do remember it by heart. And I remember, too, even adjusting, like, so we have a landline, but then my parents and me and my sisters all have cell phones, and I always thought that was weird. When that was first still, like, everyone first started bringing cell phones home. I'm like, people are just going to call your cell phone now? Like, I don't have to. I always hated answering the phone any anyway as a kid because I would answer and they'd be like, can I talk to your mom? And I'd be like, okay, one minute. I'd have to walk around the house and go find her. And I always dreaded it. And so I was like, oh, that's a weight off my shoulders. No one's going to call anymore <laughs> unless it's for me. So. Oh, my goodness. So we're going to take a a little step further in the direction of the 2000 era. So in 2005, 2006, uh, this is when... YouTube uh, made its uh, embargo into the culture as we know it, as well as Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter. All these actually got kicked off in in 2006, 2005 era. Let's talk about our YouTube first. I didn't even know YouTube a thing until far after I was already on MySpace. See, YouTube for me was a blast as a child because we watched back when YouTube first kicked off. It was like really stupid videos. That's all it was. It was like, did you ever see Charlie the Unicorn? Never. Or, okay. I'm not a, and just for the record, for the folks out there too, I'm not a YouTuber. So I, I've never seen any of those guys ever. But hey, I'm always open to there being was, taught. There was a lot of people just on there making silly content. And that's really to me. I mean, I'm sure there was other things on the internet at the time. But I was in like, what, fifth, sixth grade? I don't know. Whatever age that was. Eighth grade maybe even. And it was just silly ridiculous cartoon claymation people just messing around and there's a lot of very famous youtube videos that a lot of people our age and up remember watching a ton charlie the unicorn was one there was one called annoying orange it was so stupid but everyone that's how we bonded back then and then myspace became a thing and i don't know about you but i actually was not even allowed to have a myspace until i was in eighth grade i begged my parents for probably at least a year But when you think about it, social media was really not a thing at all. And so my parents, I think, were having a hard time 
allowing me to become like like to have my information online because that's what they were struggling with. It was like not not the fact that, you know, I'm talking to my friends and, you know, connecting social socially. But at the same time, it's like I'm putting myself on the Internet. I'm posting pictures of myself. There's information out there that's out there now. And so it took me basically saying, look, every single one of my friends has a MySpace. Please have me let me have one. But they still even were like, you can have one as long as we have your password. It was very strict at my house. Yeah, same. I mean, especially with my dad as a cop and one of his best friends being in charge of this new thing called like the cyber, you know, cyber unit where he's basically online making sure that people are following the laws. And, you know, if they're out there doing bad things, well, he's out there to get them. So, uh, yeah, my dad drew into me at a very young age um, when he first found out about MySpace and all this stuff. I had to be very, very careful with what I put out there and who I put it out there to because anybody and anybody can get out there and get to it. So, but I still, I mean, my parents were divorced. So yeah, you bet your bottom dollar down. I still had a MySpace. Do you, did you like MySpace? It was like my favorite thing in the world when I finally had one. Yeah, man. I always enjoyed uh, switching up like the background colors and uh, background wallpapers and adding music. And Yes, the top friends. I loved the top friends. It, it was a blast, man. It was fun. And I honestly, I think I learned more about coding in the year that I was really on MySpace than I ever have in my life. Like, yeah, because you always had to copy those codes, right? Yeah, and, and I was customizing them. them. So I'd go in there and I would like delete things that I didn't want out of the code and yeah. like re-put different colors in. And Honestly, I feel like MySpace was teaching all of us how to use like coding. And I don't even, I took a class similar to, I took a class in college that taught me how to do those things anyway, but it was almost like a flashback because I was like, I remember doing this in my MySpace days when I didn't even know what I was doing, but I was doing it anyway. Um, But for me, since it took me so long to get a MySpace, it was only a couple of months into having one that Facebook became popular. And then all my friends started moving over to Facebook and I was bummed because Facebook to me was so boring compared to MySpace. Yeah, they didn't have a, any of that customization option. Took me a long time to even switch over from uh, MySpace to Facebook. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't make that switch for probably like uh, my first year on my uh, Facebook was 2009. Okay, so freshman year ish. Yeah, I think it was just a little bit before that when I joined. So I was on MySpace then from like 2006 to 2009. Hmm. That was my first year ever. Um, being like on the internet 2006 yeah and it really was a a spiral after that because it went from myspace to facebook to instagram to twitter to snapchat all like i swear every time i turned around there was a new social media and these days it doesn't seem like that's the case like yeah there are some things that come out tiktok has become pretty popular i know that you know there's other things that are slowly being created but I think it was such a digital social media boom there for like a couple years that I felt like I couldn't even keep up. But right. I made an account on all of them. I had them all. <laughs> I still have most of them. I don't really use social media that much, to be honest, these days. I'm, I post on Facebook, but I don't know. I've, I've kind of stopped on most other social media sites. Either way, the uh, creation of all of these, though, um, has led to uh, the boom in social media, no doubt about it. I mean, we watch uh, President uh, Barack Obama um, use some of these avenues to kind of help him secure the office uh, as the 44th president of the United States, which was pretty remarkable. Um, we had never seen it done like that, but uh, you remember the pictures of um, him and the hope, and uh, it kind of had that, that multicolored blue yes. and red. Yes. That blasted through social media, if you think about and it. And he made that. Was he the first president with a Twitter account? Yes, he was. Yeah. He was. So, I mean, there was there was a whole bunch of avenues that social media really pro- provided for, like, trend setting. For sure. Um, it's a shame that we had to see it uh, be kind of used in 
such an awful way um, for the last, I don't know, four years. But um, plenty of other good things to get to in this decade of time um, besides the social media and everything like that. But uh, one of the things, um, obviously, you know, two years after this, we just talked about him. Barack Obama wins the presidency as the first black man to ever hold the office of president. And that could you imagine I mean, obviously, we just talked a little bit about that at the beginning of the show, but it's important as we travel down this timeline to really make sure that we put an exclamation mark on that. Go back to that day where Obama wins that election that night against John McCain or Mitt Romney, I believe it was. Mitt Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. And in Chicago, he comes out to Soldier's Field full of people onto that stage, flags waving in the background, him and Michelle. Those two beautiful daughters come out there to join him. Imagine what that moment was like for not just all Americans out there. We're all for all African Americans. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Oh, my God. To think about it, uh, to think about where we and I often think about it. And maybe this is grown as thoughts. I often think about this. I, I think about the times in the 1960s and 50s and think about those. That's not far ago. That's that not, really was not that not long ago. ago. How in the world has it taken us, though, so long to get to this point? Still to this day, even after 2008. There's still so many issues to overcome. A decade later, 2018, we're still having those same issues. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will never, ever forget just thinking about that day when Barack Obama became president and what that feeling must have been like to know that one of one of one of us has made it there, mm-hmm. you know? Never understand that. And that's why I started off the show today by asking you, what does it feel like? Because mm-hmm. as a woman, you're, you're seeing the same thing happen here. And granted, it's not the office of the president, but it's a heartbeat away. Yeah. It doesn't get any closer than that. I honestly just don't really have words for those kind of situations because, like, you, when you asked me how I felt, I'm like, I just... Proud and also... I don't want to like bring us down, but almost like a little bit sad at the same time that it's 2021 and it's just happening, but also very happy that it's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like I, I don't I don't want to speak for anyone that I can't relate to, but it's it's got to be kind of similar where it's like this is incredible and just surreal. But it's also like, wow, this is just now happening. And there's still a lot of things that we need to address, in my opinion, as a country. And I don't want to get into them because I really don't want to turn this podcast into a political conversation but just to know that you know by the time we're old and we have grandkids and they're like do you remember when this happened or this happened and it's like yes i i was alive and i witnessed the first african-american president the first female vice president hopefully at that point i can say i've witnessed the first female president of the united states and it's just that's what is so surreal and amazing to me because there are so many things that we learned in history books as children that I'm like, I wonder what it was like to live through that. And just to know that that this kind of stuff that we're talking about right now is going to be in those history books. That's just what fills me with a lot of hope and joy and just, I don't know, a feeling I can't really describe. I love so. that. I love that description right there. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, maybe it's a good time to take a, a little break. Come back. We got uh, got another decade to get to inside yeah, of we do. 2010s to 2020s. Maybe we can forget that we went through like, you know. 2016 to 2020 uh but unfortunately you know we do have to we have some memories there maybe maybe some good ones not so bad ones i don't know we have a big thing to talk about 
And that's living through a pandemic as well. well Unfortunately, I feel like it needs to be addressed. It will, but I feel like that's a TBA because we're still going through it. That's true, but it's it's still, <laughs> we can talk about the beginning of it. Okay. Well. Okay. Well, stay with us. We'll cover it next. Welcome back to Gronish. We have covered a slew of topics already so far, but there is so much more that we haven't even covered yet. And Josh, I know you kind of have a running list of just things that have happened in our lifetime. And you mentioned to me off mic that there was a lot that happened in the early like 2010s, 20 to 2015. If you want to kind of mention some of those. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, we'll We'll kind of split the difference there. 2015, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court allowed same-sex marriage, which was um, sweeping changes. Um, I have a cousin who lives in uh, New York um, who was directly affected by this and mm-hmm. was able to marry his husband, have a, a beautiful wedding um, back here um, after, you know, getting uh, the certificate and everything like that. But, um, yeah, um, seeing how happy he is, how happy they are, um, it, it was beautiful to see something like that happen. I can't believe that was, I mean, probably about five and a half years ago now. I don't want to say yeah. six because it's the early of 2021 still, but I feel like that was, I don't know. I have mixed feelings. Like it feels like it happened a really long time ago, and then also it doesn't. And I just can't believe that was 2015. But I remember watching it happen, and remember, I believe they had put lights on different buildings that were like rainbow throughout the country, and yeah. just the love and joy that I was feeling watching all of these people celebrate in the street and knowing that they could marry whoever they wanted to marry. And I will be completely blunt and honest right now when I say this to me was like the best thing that could have happened for our country. Because, I mean, we deal with a lot of people and discrimination and things, you know, whether it be gender, race, sexual orientation or whatever. But I'm like, just to know that people can finally here in 2015 marry who they want to marry without being told they can't is just groundbreaking. It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. And we're still, I know there's still, there's still a long way to go with people dealing with those kind of discriminatory situations to this day. But at the same time, that was just a huge leap forward for our country and acceptance and just allowing people to be who they want to be. That was a big step in the world. I mean, uh, you know, not just our country. I mean, you look around the world itself, and uh, this is you know, some countries that still ban it. That, yes. Uh, you know, so, I mean, this was a huge step for us as a civilization, I think, as all of us and, mm-hmm. and coming together. So, And you see there's other sweeping changes happening. Europe is becoming more friendly now with uh, some of their, um, um, you know, same-sex laws, um, which is amazing. So you hope that that kind of sweeping changes move towards, you know, other parts of the world. So, but nonetheless, you're right. I mean, it was, it was as big of a monumentous moment as you could possibly ever have, right? Yes, 100%. Huge. Huge. Um, You know, another 2015, you know, it became clear as we were talking about the cell phones, iPods, Apple, two thirds of Americans now have a smartphone. Two thirds of Americans. And that was in 2015? 2015. So it makes me wonder what the percentage is now. Uh, because, I mean, it's been another full. five plus years. You, you think that percentile now is like 85%? Easily. Easily. Somewhere, 90%. Yeah. You know what's funny? What's that? So um, I used to live in Middlebury, and because I did, there was a lot of Amish people around there, right? Right. 
And I remember one time and I grew up learning that Amish didn't really have cell phones or TVs or things like that. But, you know, it's real and smartphones are here to stay because I was pulling up next to a horse and buggy and the person driving it was sitting there on his smartphone. And I was like, (laughs) wow. So I want to say 85% is probably accurate because even taking into account people who I thought were not allowed to use those, they're using them. I don't want the, uh, you know, he's got to be careful there, man. People have phones now. They take a picture that gets back to his boss, you know, however that works. I don't know. I know that they're bishops. This is really off topic right now, but I learned a little <laughs> bit about the Amish culture because I was living in that area. Okay. And they live, they're, they're, called, they're, called, they're called their bishop, basically, like their priest or their pastor or whatever. And they do have different roles depending on where you live. So depending on your bishop, he might allow cell phone usage. So he's probably not doing anything bad but it was just funny because i always was raised knowing that or thinking that they couldn't use things like that so cell phones man they've taken over and it's weird because i don't know about you and this is almost sad but when i forget my cell phone or it dies or something happens to it i always feel like i'm missing something like wow. it makes me you feel need some time away from your phone oh That's i know what that means. no but everyone feels that way right or no, is it just me just you okay unless i know that i left it somewhere where i am like I'm going to need it. Like, I left my phone here at work. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I need to go back and well, grab Well, like, that. when I'm at home and stuff, I, I will just leave it and do whatever I need to do. But at the same time, it's like, there was a re- there was one time where I was driving to Fort Wayne, and mm-hmm. I forgot my phone in Middlebury. I didn't need my phone, but I felt like I was missing, like, a part of me. Yeah, well, that, yeah, you need that, girl. That's a, that is a, <laughs> yes, you need that, because what if something were to happen to you on that drive, right? Well, I wasn't alone, though, and the person I was with had a cell phone. Oh, well, then. That's a thing, yeah. but I just felt like I kept reaching for it. Like, I went to go grab it to check it, and then I didn't have it, and I was like, this is so weird, because 10 years ago, I could be in a car without feeling like I needed to grab my cell phone. Basic instincts, I guess, taking over. Yes, and I've actually heard people's, like, the way that their body, their anatomy, it's slowly changing evolutionary because of the way we look and hold our phones and things. It's just wild. That is crazy. So wild. All right. So our next thing in the 2010 era was something that kind of hit me more towards uh, home and a lot of folks that were playing uh, uh, contact sports at the time. The NFL announced a $100 million initiative uh, for concussions. Um, basically there was a a big lawsuit that came out where uh, a couple of former NFL players had died via suicide. Um, and they did it in a manner where they did it with the self-inflicted wound to the heart so that they they could preserve their head. Uh, In some of the notes that they left, they said they asked for their brains to be examined. And, um, in the Boston university, uh, medical center, their neurology, the neurology, I can't say that word, neurologist, The the neuro center. Um, basically took part in this and examined the brains of two former NFL players and found that there was CTE on the brain, which um, basically it's from repeated um, traumatic brain injuries over the course of a time um, where your brain hasn't gotten a chance to heal. So uh, compound fractures or compound bruises, if you will, on your brain, which causes early dementia, causes um, a deterioration of your brain. Um, these guys were 45, 48 years old, and uh, they said that their brains looked like they were 96 and 97. Wow. That's how bad. I didn't realize it was that bad. I, I, yeah. I heard of this, but that's way yeah. worse than I even realized. And, and it causes mood swings, uh, all sorts of things that can happen to, to a person, and uh, they don't even know it. So the NFL Players Association, so basically all the alumni, they stood up and said, hey, 
they're not, and most people don't know this, but an NFL player, when they're done, three years after their career is over or they retired, um, their life insurance, their insurance through the NFL, their place of business, no longer. They actually have to go into the real world now and find mm. insurance. So the NFL Players Association thought this was bogus. They had yeah. to come back to the league and say, yo, you need to do something to help this. Well, there was a bigger problem than just that. It was the fact that now they had youth sports and the NFL Youth Football League. You had collegiate sports. You had all of these farm avenues to the NFL now playing improperly, not taking care of player safety. Um, this There's a thing out there called Heads Up Football, um, which basically is now the initiative to practice you know, safe way to tackle. That was never there. We watched a video before the beginning of every season when I was in high school football. It was um, of Dick Vernell. Then he was back in, I think, 1989 in this video, showing us making sure that we didn't lower our head because it could break our neck. But that was that. That was it. So you knew by the fear of God, pretty much, not to drop your head because you didn't want to break your neck and end up like one of these guys on the video. But concussions? No, we didn't have that. My, my, my years of playing football, it was simply known as just getting your bell rung. So when you got your bell rung or your lights knocked out, you took a second, you got back up and played. Oh, my gosh. I remember one time I had blood coming down one of my <gasps> ears. Yeah. Oh, out yeah. of your ear? Yeah. I took a, I basically got in a, a sack, and um, he hit me to the ground, and it was turf at the time. My head bounced off and bounced back on it. Uh, I got up. I don't remember playing the rest of that game. And if it wasn't for someone videotaping it, I, I could not even tell you that I was even up That's there. terrible. How old were you at that time? 16, 17. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, I mean. Um, and things... think you're just playing high school football. Exactly. So, And that's that's the scary part. That's that's only seven years max mm-hmm. exposure to that. Think about the folks who have played 10, 12, 15. Going to college, go professional. And even the folks that just play all the way through college and, and maybe not professional. But still. Even those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many people are, are affected that even when President Obama was in office, he, he told the public, the general public, I don't know if I would ever let my kids play. Ever let my kids play. So coming from you then, and you experiencing this, say you have sons that want to play football someday, how would you feel about it? Well, and, and I, I would feel this way. If he knows, it would come down to this. We would have to sit down and have a conversation and talk about this. And he needs to be at an age where he's mature enough to understand what I'm telling him. Is that if you engage in this sport, there are risks with this. You don't get to just play this sport and just to have the the fun aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So if he engages in this, I want him to be well aware of some of the risks that come from it, some of the things that happen. I can try and protect him all I, all I want like that, but I'm never going to prevent my kid from doing something that he wants to do. But as long as he knows risks, exactly. But and, and if he's not mature enough yet to understand those risks, then he simply just can't do it until he is ready enough to understand. Because I never want him to agree or her to agree to something and say, "Yo, you know, I didn't understand what you were saying." Yes. So it has to be at that appropriate time. So looking back to you, then, how do you feel about the fact that you were taking all these hard hits to your head and no one really knew what was going on? And now that you do, how do you feel about the fact that you played all those years of football? Hmm. Um. I don't regret it. I mean, I just wish we would have known. And I feel like that is the same sentiment felt around all of us prior to 2016 is we all wish we would have known mm-hmm. because if we would have known, I mean, obviously, I mean, and the weird thing was, is I got to coach after playing and this is like two or three years after playing. I went back to the same high school and coached there, coached the quarterbacks. 
It was the first year they implemented this thing called the concussion protocol policy, which is where basically you had to take a baseline test at the beginning of each year, a card game, if you will. And every time that like, you know, you had to pass it. So kids literally would be there for weeks on end trying to pass this damn solitaire concussion, you know, game that's on the computer in the library. And, uh, They'd come back, and if you got injured, you'd have to take that test. So it was like a brain test to mm-hmm. show, to make sure you were understanding of, yeah. like a memory thing, kind yeah. of? Wow. To see where where your cognitive ability mm-hmm. was at that point. How do I feel about all the things that have happened? I mean, obviously, you worry about the risk factor, but it's, there's nothing, you, you start, um, there's so many advances now in, in medicine and how to appropriately take care of your brain. And I hate to be this guy. Even the trainers that are here in our area doing sports, besides maybe outside of the university, they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue how to take care of a proper head injury. Mm. There's these things that uh, um, they're called, and you know, and actually, folks with um, anybody who has ever been autistic or um, maybe had had somebody in their family that has very sensitive um, to lights and sounds. They have to have like one of those safe rooms or a sound room. Mm -hmm. That's where you're supposed to go to. You have to find a way to get your body and your brain balanced back out from all that. So the only way to do that is cut all the lights, cut all the sound, get out of there. Um, There's all these tests and things that they do now with you um, through neuro advancements now. Nothing that they have to do surgically wise. It would be basically like considered going to the chiropractor Mm -hmm. nowadays. But um, yeah, I mean, it. A week, and we're watching a guy who's going to play football. Well, he played football this weekend. Basically, passed through concussion protocol policy in four days. That poor guy. I mean, I understand this is his profession, this is his job, but at the same point in time, you're a kid. Mm-hmm. You're 24 years old. You don't even have kids yet. Well, actually, no, he does. I think he just either they're pregnant now, but I don't know who you're talking about. Patrick Mahomes. Oh. Yeah, he's a quarterback in the NFL, got knocked out of a game last weekend, played this previous weekend, and uh, who knows what the repercussions of that, right? So clearly the NFL is still not doing it. It's still enough. not where it needs to be. It's unbelievable. Makes me wonder how long it will take or if it will change that much. I don't think it will ever. I think it's always now going to be conversations and advancement in technology. Uh, the one thing, beautiful thing that they did, they... And I've seen it from my own eyes down in Canton, Ohio, which is the birthplace of the NFL. At the Hall of Fame, they have this research technology or uh, this research tech institute mm-hmm. that they have designed and built for concussion research. State of the art, beautiful. The work that they're doing down there is they're working with companies like Rydell, Schutz, Adams, all these folks who make helmets and how to make them safer. And they're not afraid now to ban helmets that are deemed not safe. For the game. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're taking steps. I Good. Mean, it's a work right? in progress, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Well, is there anything else in the early, not even early, we're talking about mid to late 2010s that we want to cover, or you think we're good to take another break here? I think we're good to take another break. Okay. Stay tuned, and I guess we'll just cover the short amount of things that have happened so far in 2020, early 2021, but we're nearing our end of the show, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Stay with us.
Welcome back. Well, we are nearing the end of our crazy historical timeline, and I'm sure we've skipped over a ton. I know we have. (laughs) But at the same time, that's kind of what blows my mind about just where we are in the history of the United States, where we were born and where we've reached now. We have lived through so much that it was almost too much for me to think about writing it all down and mentioning it. It's too much for an hour-long podcast episode, that's for sure. Definitely is. But as we're entering 2021, obviously the elephant in the room is the pandemic. And I don't really want to talk about this too much because if you've been listening to our podcast since its beginning, we we had a whole episode where we touched on the pandemic. But I felt like I couldn't wrap up the segment without mentioning one of the biggest things that we've ever lived through in our time. And that's, you know, coronavirus. And I just think about, you know, last year. February going into March when everything first started and talking to a bunch of people who are a lot older than me and them saying things like, I don't recall any of this ever happening in my, you know, throughout my life this far. This is the first time that any people, anybody who's alive today has gone through something like this. And I heard the word pandemic and it makes me think of like the plague and like way back in the day. And I'm like, we can, we can still have this. It's almost like when I told you about when I was a kid and I heard the word war. And I'm like, there's no way we can have a war like we're we're past that. Well, it was almost I know it sounds ignorant, but it's like, you know, 25 years old and you hear the word pandemic. And I'm like, there's no way that this is going to be a pandemic. I honestly thought when it was first starting, it was going to be the same kind of situation where we've been in before with like H1N1, the bird flu, Ebola, where it's like clearly it caused issues and it caused some deaths, but not on the scale that we are at this at this point. Um, And so it's just been a surreal situation. And I think it has been for everyone just figuring out how to adapt and overcome and everyone working from home and figuring out new ways to do different things and places shutting down. And it's just it's just been so wild. But I think that we're starting to see I hope I'm not jinxing it by saying this knock on wood. I think we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Vaccinations are coming out. It's still going to be a long road ahead of us. And we're going into the 2020s with this still being a major thing on all of everyone's minds and hearts. But we're really, we are getting there, slowly but surely. Absolutely. But this will definitely be another thing that when we are old and gray and kids are going to school and reading their history books, 2020 in itself is going to be a whole history book. It was a trip, man. Uh, And and I think, you know, as you're saying all that, I I go back and it's it's nobody's fault that, you know, we didn't take it seriously enough or or sooner enough like that. I just remember getting sick back in January and um, with what would presume to be COVID-19, even though at the time I got released from the hospital January 15th, the United States started testing for COVID-19 January 17th. Yeah. So two days prior. And if you go back through, I had everything except for needing the ventilator, but that's because they did a bronchoscopy to go and clear out my right lung. That was almost three fourths blocked. And you were tested for other things that all came back negative, correct? Pneumonia. Girl, they even, I mean, they tested me for everything for, even HIV. I mean, they, they tested everything. When I came into the hospital that day, I went to two hospitals. I went to St. Joe over here, and then they told me I just had the, it was like, well, we can test you for the flu, but just go home and rest. This is after four days of 103 fever. So I finally went over to Memorial over there to see what's happening. They take me in there, scare the living bejesus out of me. They're telling me I'm septic, that I've got a blood infection, um, that they need to find out where it's at. Uh it, it was wild. I immediately became patient number one for like two or three days. Over and how there. long were you in the hospital? Uh, 14, 13 yeah. days, 14, somewhere around there. So what 
what made you go? Was it the continuous? It so the I mean, it was. Yeah, what, but I, what symptom was it? The fever every day, or was there other things like? Did I, you have COVID symptoms? I back then? felt like I was. I mean, I can't tell you if I had no taste or smell because you know you're constantly sick. I was. Uh, I, I felt um, like I could never keep anything down, no matter how hard I tried. So you just give up eating. You really do at that point. You're mm-hmm. just drinking your liquids. Um, fever um, that would keep coming and going. I'd break it for a little bit. Um, but it would never dip below like 100. Mm-hmm. It would always stay just around there. And the peak fever would be like 103.7 to like 104. Yeah, that's hospital worthy for oh, sure. Oh, for sure. And it wasn't just because it just happened like one night. It was consecutive nights of the, this happening. And my doctor, Dr. Susan, she is amazing. Um, you know, I, I was constantly texting her throughout this and she was giving me advice on what to do. And eventually there reached a point, like after I left that hospital, I was like, I'm still not feeling right, even after taking the medication that they gave me. So took my fever itself back to the hospital again. And then uh, that's when they checked me in. And uh, it was uh, it was a whirlwind after that. And that, the biggest thing for me was the recovery, was getting up out of the hospital bed. I they There was three things that were on my wall that I had to accomplish before I could leave the hospital. I had to be able to breathe on my own past a certain level. So they gave you one of those breath gauges where you blow in it and you have to achieve that level. I had to be able to walk and I had to be able to um, sit up on my own and go to the bathroom. You couldn't do those things at one point? No. Couldn't get up and walk. My God, I was so depleted. Um, I was shortness of breath, all of that. uh, It was truly remarkable when I came out of the hospital and came back to work. Um, You know, obviously we have stairs here at the station. Taking those stairs, even to that first flight, I was dead. I mean, it was like, wow, just completely drained. Mm. But taking the next step, it was just like, holy crap. I'd get back to my desk. They gave me a little inhaler. Never used an inhaler in my life. Had to hit the inhaler. Um, they put me on steroids, which make you eat like a, uh, you've never believed before. You, you def- needed to, though, because you lost a lot of weight during all of this. Yeah, I was skinny. I mean, I dropped almost 30 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm already a skinny guy to be- begin with, so there wasn't really much more for me to, to lose at right. that point. But no, and that's that was my view. That was my vantage point, the intro into all of this. So while everyone wasn't really taking this seriously, it's not their fault. I had just came out of being sick. For and, weeks. Yeah, so it was like, dude, I'm not trying to even get sick. Like when I was when I was in the hospital, that they, they were making people wear masks that were in there because there was this flu going around. And uh, so I just got accustomed to after leaving the hospital wearing the mask because I didn't want to give anybody sick, you know. Mm-hmm. But who would have thought we'd still be wearing masks, you know, a year later? Oh, my gosh, I know. Unbelievable. And, you know, it's I've said this before, but it's like when it was first starting, the people wearing a mask, everyone was looking at them like, wait, you're wearing a mask. And now if you're not wearing a mask, you're on the outs. But honestly, I'm in the position where this is serious. I've seen it be serious for other people. Not necessarily do I think I'm going to get sick enough where I'd be hospitalized, but there are people that will be. And so... Just trying to power through and do what I can to help and make this not spread. Absolutely. But I just, it's just been such a wild ride. And I know everyone, the entire country, I mean, the entire world has been learning as we go because none of us have ever lived through anything like this before. But I couldn't mention historical moments in our lifetime without mentioning this because besides the terror attacks, this might be one of the biggest things that we may ever live through. So that's a good point. It's a good point. So I guess that's it. I know that was a really heavy way to end that, but I couldn't, couldn't not mention it. 
That was um, a good point. That was a good way to end it, I feel like. Okay. Yeah. Well, moving forward, let me just let me just wrap this up, I guess, with a little lighter question. Okay. We covered we covered this before, but we talked about goals in twenty twenty one. How's your twenty twenty one going so far? Not bad, actually. You know, Not bad. it's been pretty good. How about yours? It's going well. I still need to read more. I know that I made that a goal. I did buy a new book the other day, oh, yeah? and I'm What'd excited to read it. It's actually called The Small Things. I'm pretty sure it's, or The Little Things. I, I read the intro, and I stopped reading after that. I think it's called The Little Things. I don't know. It's all about, like, taking care of the little things in your life because those all spiral into bigger things and yeah. how to, like, how to change your life for the better, but just one small step at a time. Because I actually talked about this with you on our New Year's uh, New Year resolution conversation and just saying how a lot of people, when they make life changes or they have, you know, New Year's resolutions and goals, they usually try to jump into it too hard. And because of that, they give up easy because it's too much change at once. So this whole book is about how to make the little changes and it will change your whole life in spiral, but it will happen without even you realizing it, that it happens. I'm excited to hear. That's what I'm reading right now. You know, just, just doing my best. I will say I also have not done what I said I was going to do about eating less fast food. Maybe in February. Maybe in February. (laughs) We'll see how that goes. Let's take it month by month. Month by month, day by day. We'll see how it goes. Hope you guys have enjoyed listening to us today. And this is that favorite part of our time where we like to tell you where you can reach us. So, Brooklyn, where can we find you? On Twitter, I'm at Radio Brooklyn. And on Facebook, just find me by Googling my name, Brooklyn Beatty. I am uh, on Twitter at Josh RW underscore Williams. And again, that's Josh RW underscore Williams. And on Facebook, you can find me at Josh Willie Williams. And you can, of course, find Gronish all over the place. You can email us at gronishpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at Gronish Podcast and on Facebook, Gronish with a hyphen podcast. We're also on TikTok, but we still failed to make any TikTok videos. We really need to get on that, Josh. Absolutely. We've been saying it for months. But we're also at Gronish Podcast on TikTok if you want to follow us ahead of time. But as always, thanks for listening. And we will talk to you again next week. by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.